I've got a rocket man. In fact, I've got the rocket man. Ooh, and I've got some spooky holiday snaps. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Date Hello. Fighters, the podcast where we take great moments that occurred on this day in history and we pitch them against each other. Yes, we do. He's Jake Yap. Yeah, I'm Nat Tapley. And together we have taken two of the pasta sheets of time and woven them together to make a delicious lasagna of entertainment. And we're going to see which layer tastes best. I'm making mine with toilet paper nowadays. Uh, I backed Ooh. the wrong horse in that race. Mm. Uh, ran out of pasta long before toilet paper <laughs> and now just layering it up every meal. I mean, that is the ideal pasta to make with a... Yeah. With toilet roll. I mean, trying to do toilet roll spaghetti is just really time-consuming. <laughs> I'm going to take you to the 16th of March, 1869, when William Mumler was arrested in New York. Now, William Mumler, eight years earlier, he was a photographer and he'd accidentally double-exposed one of his plates. Uh, and so it made it look like there were two people in the room and there was only one. Uh, and he thought that was so funny, he showed it to one of his spiritualist friends. The joke say, ha look, it looks like there's a ghost there, doesn't it? <laughs> and the friend went, yes. That's right. Yes, yes it does. It looks like, maybe there, is there a ghost there? And William Mumler went, uh, yep. maybe, yep. maybe yep. there is. <sighs> Unfortunately, uh, he picked the 1860s to do this in, so just after the Civil War, so there were lots of dead people and lots of people who wished they could get in contact with recently deceased people. Um, and he opened a studio in Boston, charging $10 for 12 photos, which was about five times the usual rate. Uh, and when you got your photos back, you would see spirits in the room with you. Um, very shortly after that, people started recognising the spirits as street children or people who lived around Boston going, hey, I saw that ghost lady on the street. Oh. Uh, so he ran away. He ran to New York. Uh, where he opened a studio. In 1869, he did 500 spirit photographs at 630 Broadway, um, and he was arrested on the 16th of March for swindling credulous persons. Wowzers. Yeah. At his trial, he also produced photographs of the judge and prosecutors, which he said were full of ghosts. He then... <laughs> the P.T. Barnum came as a witness for the prosecution to point out that he was these were clear hoaxes. Um... He told the judge he saw the dead and was talking to the dead at the trials. The judge wow. ruled in the end that he probably was crooked, but set him free anyway. So in 1871, he had the good fortune to prepare a spirit photograph for Mary Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's wife, in which he worked with an old photograph of Abraham Lincoln and put him peering over her shoulder, and she was very comforted by it. Anyway, he died shortly after that. That was 1869, the arrest of William Mumler, spirit photographer who was not convicted. So they must have been real ghosts in real pictures. Definitely, mate. That's the only explanation. That's cool and fun and way better than mine, which is super dry because um, I'm trying to consolidate my win from yesterday. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's not going to happen. Uh, so I'm taking you to the uh, 16th off of March, off of 1660. Ooh. And the long parliament is dissolved, mm. uh, which... Do you know what parliament <laughs> that followed? placed in a glass of water. Yeah. Do you, do you know what it followed, the long parliament? Uh, no. It was the short parliament. No, oh, the short parliament. Uh. So the short parliament lasted for three weeks. Yeah, that is short. Yeah. The long parliament lasted for 20 years. 
Yeah, that is longer. Definitely longer. It's definitely. That's, you say what you like about politicians. They know stuff. They know how to name a parliament, don't they? <laughs> and then it turned into the rump parliament. Yes. And uh, this is all parliament. around all of the madness <laughs> of the interregnum yes. and all of that. The madness or the sensibleness of the interregnum? Well, absolutely. Nat, absolutely. I mean, it depends on whether you think uh, not having a king makes more sense than having a king. Well, no, why? To decide that one of you is arbitrarily better than all the others and to tell everyone what to do. Well... By dint of the vagina they fell out of. Uh, <coughs> you had the rump parliament. Uh, you had the, the convention <laughs> part of the parliament. Body. And then it was the vagina parliament, and that's more <laughs> the sort of thing that you're talking about, I think. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, there's an American Whig historian mm. yes. um, whose name was Charles Wentworth... Upham. <laughs> yeah. And unusually, he did like it, yeah. Upham, uh, who said that it was basically what set a path down for all kinds of modern reform and liberty and democracy and stuff. He believed that the Republican principles of the long parliament mm. were a precursor to the American Revolutionary War. Yes. Well, Which I'm sure monkeying about with photographic plates had its own importance at the time, Nat. Spooky photos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to win now. So, <laughs> so, so that that was that was all of that. That's very important. Yes, Spooky I don't really photos. know what I'm doing. Yeah, all right, you've won. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Nixon, wife of Richard Nixon, um, one of the few people to have been both second lady of the United States and first lady of the United States. Uh, she collected 600 pieces of art for the White House and still had to get in bed with Richard Nixon every night. Poor old Pat Nixon. Happy birthday to, to rapping timepiece Flavor Flav, member of Public Enemy <laughs> and probably the world's premier clock wearer, I'd wager. <laughs> Happy Happy birthday to renowned actor Jerome Flynn, who you will have seen being all gruff and burly and swearing a lot in Game of Thrones, or being half of late 90s croon duo Robson and Jerome. <laughs> Happy birthday to Aubrey Beardsley. He did lots of rude pictures of people with enormous phalluses, which could keep everyone entertained through a GCSE art lesson in the mid-1990s. Happy death day too to Alice Hertz, who left Nazi Germany in 1933, and at the age of 82 in America in Detroit, she set fire to herself to protest the Vietnam War. And she did that on March the 16th, 1965, to protest Lyndon B. Johnson's policies. Happy death day too to Marguerite Durand, a French actress and journalist and suffragist. She founded newspapers, she stood for election, and she had a pet lion. Oh, wow. She sounds brilliant. I've got a lot in common with her. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have the 16th of March, 1626. Mm. And a guy called Robert Goddard makes history. Ooh. And all the signs were there. This was in Auburn, Massachusetts. As a child, mm. Robert Goddard was very interested in science, especially engineering and technology. His father said, yeah, oi, oi, what's this? In, in a Massachusetts accent, probably. Um, if I rub my foot on the carpet... <laughs> probably not. I don't think there was don't think there was a Massachusetts accent in 1626. They'd only been there for six years. All right. Here, oi, look. If I rub my shoe on the carpet, 
That, so that's authentic now. <laughs> oh, my static electricity. Yeah. He was five years old. Mm. Uh, Robert Goddard. And he was like, this is cool. And he started doing experiments. And he thought, um, can I, if I've got a piece of zinc in my hand, can I jump higher because of the static? And his mum was like, don't do that. You'll go sailing away and never come back. And all of this stuff was going in his head. It was programming him hard. He got hold of some chemicals and he did some experiments and he exploded his house. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was an explosion in his house. Okay. It didn't completely blow up. And his dad, I mean, as you can imagine, after that, his dad was like... Yes, he probably spanked him while he went, Yaroo! No, he was like, good on you, son. Here's a telescope and a microscope and a subscription to Scientific American. Amazing. Let's have a slap-up tea. Yeah. And then he became obsessed with flight, with kites and balloons. He tried to make a balloon mm. out of aluminum. Mm. Uh, when he was 16, he he shaped it uh, in his home workshop as thin as he could and he filled it with hydrogen and he spent five weeks trying to do it and he finally gave up saying, this, this is impossible. Aluminum is too heavy. Failure crowns enterprise. However, he couldn't leave all of this stuff alone. And then he read H.G. Wells's The War of the Worlds and he was like, I'm going to do something about this. And then when he was 17, he he climbed a cherry tree to cut off the dead limbs of his dad. <laughs> no, of the cherry tree. And this was his moment. This was his sort of epiphany moment. He was up this cherry tree. And he said, mm -hmm. as I looked towards the fields at the east, I imagined how wonderful it would be to make some device which had even the possibility of ascending to Mars and how it would look on a small scale if sent up from the meadow at my feet. Mm. And he privately celebrated that as his anniversary day. That was October mm. the 19th. Yeah. But it was on this day that he launched the first ever liquid-fueled rocket. Ooh. And set in motion... The An bombing of Great Britain of during the Second World well, War. All right, yeah, all right. Yeah, I knew you were going to do that. Why do you have to be so negative? You are such a Ramona. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. No, that's it. All right. I no, you've, you've, yeah, I was trying to do something really inspiring and literally uplifting. Literally. And then plummeting. I am going to the 16th of March, yeah. 1621, when... All of the Puritan settlers who'd just arrived or just lived through their first winter in Plymouth Plantation and who were very hungry and very cold uh, turned around and saw a Native American walking into the middle of their village who said to them in English, Welcome, Englishman. My name is Samoset. Uh, he then asked for a beer. <laughs> He'd learned English from the fishermen who'd been up and down the coast for the previous years. Um, and so he was the one, well, one of two Native Americans in the area who could speak English and so he said welcome Englishman my name is Somerset can I have a beer they didn't give him beer um, in fact that evening they talked to him all about the Native Americans who lived in the local area what they were doing there and it came to nightfall and they said ah, you'll probably you'll probably want to be on your way then it's uh, oh, oh it's getting dark it's uh, and he went no no <laughs> I <laughs> think I'll stay here a cab, I think yeah. I'll stay for the night uh, <laughs> that would be only friendly of you to offer me a bed and they went uh, well yes you could but you'd well you'd have to stay the only space you've got is on the Mayflower so you'd actually have to go and stay on that big mm. boat that's anchored there and that would be really uncomfortable but no no that's fine i'll go there and he jumped into the little boat they the jolly boat they went no all right come on then you can stay uh you can stay in stephen hopkins house and he as you might remember was my ancestor oh who we yeah talked about before. 
Yeah. So he stayed in his house for the night. And then again, the next day, he didn't want to go either. They eventually got rid of him. Um, and he came back a few days later with the Massasoit tribe and Squanto, who was the other English-speaking Native American. He was uh, he spoke English because he'd been taken to it. Squanto had actually been to England. He'd been taken back to England um, and had since returned to New England. At that point, I think we think he was the only person who we know to have crossed the Atlantic twice um, by that point. Um, anyway, but the Squanto and Somerset were the English speakers who made it possible for the um, Massasoit to understand the English and decide not to murder them, as was their first plan. They didn't want the English there, uh, but they were told to wait um, because the English had magical powers and had, could kill anyone who came near them, uh, just like the disease that the English had brought, which had killed most of the l- local native population a few years earlier. Uh, and so without Samoset and without Squanto, um, the settlers would never have been able to survive, the Massasoit probably would have killed them all, and America, as we know it, would not exist today. Wow. I don't think it's fair that you're using nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> you could do Charles Yap. He was Minister of Food. You got the whole First World War. That's fun. Um, no. Yeah. All right. Well, well done. Well played. You know, great. Thank you. Great. Happy for you, mate. That was a really strong one. <laughs> but then we have this much fun every day. If you are stuck inside your house, self-isolating, come back for more of this talk banter and chat. Every Single day. I. Okay. We're. At, we're, mm. <laughs> we're this coherent all the time. Yeah. Please imagine. Uh, go imagine. Online. Yeah, but just just imagine if you were asked to produce the transcripts of this podcast and you just had that. <laughs> just as it sounds. As it sounds. Do you think we can do the whole outro in sound? Yeah. Okay. The Patreon subscribers must really feel like they've got their money's worth today. Oh, God. Sorry. Well done. Bye.